0: You're listening to the Ticker Podcast from
1: IR
2: Magazine, a roundup of this week's leading stories and industry comment from the world of investor relations. MIFID 2 has been in effect now for three months. European Commission's Markets and Financial Instruments Directive has, among other things, dramatically reshaped the research and corporate access landscape, and not just in Europe. Over the next few weeks, we'll delve into exactly how these changes are panning out for corporates and for IROs. Today, we're joined by the author of the most-read article in IR Magazine in all of 2017,
1: Having spent nearly 20 years in the industry, I do think that this is finally a chance for investor relations to take control back.
2: On today's program, I'll speak with Conduit Communications CEO Marina Calero on what it takes to take control. That's coming up right after this week's Ticker News update. New York Stock Exchange listed companies got a paperwork break this month. An SEC ruling means issuers are no longer obliged to send the exchange hard copies of proxy materials, provided these materials are included in a filing available electronically on the regulator's EDGAR system. For their part, NASDAQ-listed companies don't have to mail proxy materials to NASDAQ. Until now, gun control in the U.S. has only been a concern from an IR perspective in terms of faith-based investors. But the outcry since the Parkland School shooting in Florida may be changing that. In recent weeks, several large financial institutions have publicly committed to engagement with portfolio companies around gun control, signaling that this issue may join human rights and political lobbying as a prominent social issue for investors. Meanwhile, there have been four shareholder proposals related to gun control in 2018, more than any previous year. Finally, changing market conditions may be putting the brakes on what is often seen as the unstoppable march of passive investment. A recent Natixis Investment Manager survey of 500 global institutional investors indicates that although most investors believe passive investments offer an advantage in managing fees, they don't always place fees above performance. Three-quarters of respondents say they are willing to pay higher fees for potential outperformance. Considering a potential reversal in the monetary policies that have buoyed markets and likely interest rate increases, institutional investors project market volatility will be on the rise, as will the dispersion of returns among securities. With the interest rate tailwind subsiding, some 75% of institutional investors surveyed say the market favors active managers.
0: <laughs> la Mifid 2, innovando Mifid 2. No. la Mifid 2 non <laughs> Mifid 2. 2. The Mifid 2. That, uh, Mifid 2. The Mifid 2. To talk to you about Mifid 2. Mifid 2. Mifid 2. What is Method? 2?
2: mifid is well and truly here, and decades-old practices are being rethought fast. Marina Zakharova de Calero is CEO of London-based Conduit Communications. For the last couple of years, she's been sounding the alarm about just how disruptive the new rules introduced by Mifid2 will be for companies. Now, she says, the extent of that impact has clearly split issuers into two camps. With those most depending on their brokers, most struggling to come to terms with the new reality. As you'll hear in our conversation, Calero believes that with the right mix of resources and respect, Mifid2 offers a brave and bright new world for IR teams. Marina Calero, let's just jump in. Your thoughts on how Mifid2 is working out for companies so far?
1: Things are certainly changing and it's, um, it's a real change rather than probably a year ago it was, um, um, I wouldn't say brushed under the carpet, but certainly no one anticipated the, uh, um, the change that we're currently going through and also the speed of it. Having spent nearly 20 years in the industry, I do think that this is finally um, a chance for investor relations to take control back. And it's going to be... Um, change that requires a lot of um, um, bravery from some of the IROs, requires a lot of support from the board to um, execute it accurately and correctly and get the best out of it. But certainly the attitude to investor relations as an admin function or as an execution function would have to start changing from the board level down. Um, and it would have to be driven, the change which should be driven internally by investor relations teams working together with the boards. And then the boards understanding that um, the level of um, budgetary requirements for investor relations would have to be increased in order to run an efficient and um, control campaigns.
2: So two things to succeed post-MIFID two, are board buy-in and more money.
1: You need more money. And the reason for asking for more money is that effectively, investor relations functions is now uh, in the process of being changed from pure communication function, that it has been so far, compliance and, very, um, and communication function, to really more of a um, sales function. Mm. Um, It is really the door for the market into the company to get an understanding of how the company is run. But it's mainly... Um, after industrial relations teams to um, now wave the flag for their stories and, uh, in the fight for capital. They would have to be very active, articulate, concise, and consistent.
2: It seems that uh, fund managers and brokers were, for the most part, on top of things leading up to uh, MIFID's turning on in January. But... Maybe there is less activity within corporates uh, now. Mifid is a really hot topic for IROs.
1: I think the reason for that is that IROs almost led to believe by most of the brokers, especially here in the UK, when there is a corporate banking model uh, engraved in industrial relations program, programs. Programs. Um, there was a little bit of. Um, Naivety um, um, from some areas, but also the party line was really it's not going to change much. And brokers were continuing saying that up until with some, even uh, as uh, late as December last year, they were still saying we're not really anticipating that many changes. Um, but in reality, if you are to comply with um, the requirements of MIFID, changes will have to come because simply the issue of time and the issue of money. These are the two elements that come over and over again with the unbundling of the commission. It's very clear that the brokers would not be able to rely on the same level of support from the sell side and provide the same level of without really splitting the two and pricing them at market levels. Not the nominal pricing, but the clear pricing that involves time spend um, and for the buy side, they really have to dig deep, especially the BlackRock came out and said that they will be paying for all corporate taxes and for the research out of their own pocket, not uh, passing on the expense to the individual investors, as has been the case up until this year. That means that they will be looking at what kind of research and the volume of the research they're buying um, looking at the quality and the value that they get. And the rest of the investment community, after BlackRock came out, many afterwards came out to say, well, actually, we think that that would be the right thing to do. We will be paying out of a P&L, which means that if a fund manager was receiving 12 to 15 research notes On the same stock. They had to sit down and have a look per industry, how much of that research they still intend to buy and how much money they allocate for those purposes. Consequently, the number of research buy side were prepared to buy in reduced. Um, That had an impact on sell side teams. If they can't sell in, they need to look at um, the internal team competitions. And some either reduce the stock or trying now to Select the right companies, the liquid companies that they can still push the research out and make money out of them. And that goes back to the corporates that um, as a result wouldn't have 17, 21 if you're large-cap companies or 79 maybe if you're mid-cap companies, um, brokerage houses covering you. And even here for the FTSE 100, a number of companies were already told that smaller brokers will be dropping stock. And that's something we certainly did not anticipate. We, we were hoping and expected that the FTSE um, 100 companies will be able to hang on for a bit longer um, and still enjoy kind of good research coverage, but it's not it's going not to be the case.
2: That dynamic is changing, and so has the job of consultants in this area.
1: It certainly is changing. I will not say it's changed yet, but it's certainly changing, mainly because once you as a as a corporate, as a company, if you continue to rely on the brokers under the in this new shared reality, you're basically limiting access to the market only to those funds that have corporate access pricing agreements with um certain with the institution with the corporate brokers. Hmm. So if you are an illiquid stock and you fund with that Okay, that's your choice, but actually most of the stock would like to see more potential investors and use the management time of their own time much more efficiently without taking one step further and knowing exactly who your targets are. um, And that would be the job of either consultants or data providers or others um, to provide you with those Broader look at the market, where the pockets are, who you should be meeting, who's investing in your peers, who's investing into other companies that are similar to you in terms of the um, financial composition, financial structures.
2: So, targeting is definitely a growth biz from a consultant's point of view.
1: Yes, targeting is, is certainly a growth industry. Damn in the, <laughs> it might come out a bit wrong, but done in an intelligent way. Mm. Most of the targeting does rely on the third-party providers. If you are an IRO sitting with your team, normally mid-cap companies, that's about two people. If you're lucky, maybe three. And the larger cap, slightly more than that. What you may end up is with spending less money, and getting a very long list that pulled very often from Excel, That pulled by one of the providers that contains um, 80, 90 potential targets. You have the names, and you have funds, and you have everything else. But it's now up to you, and you're already looking after a lot of other things that are on your plate from direct engagement with investors arranging some of the road shows, trying to deal with the reducing coverage of um, self-help coverage, trying to do the results. Now it's um, reporting period, so you're writing the annual report. So it's, it, the plate is overflowing already. Now you need to go through those 80 or 90 different potential targets to find out who's actually ready to meet with you interested in the company. So the role of the advisors that we were saying, this is what we do, is a pre-qualified targeting. You need to step up. You need to help IROs to save time and provide them already with uh, a list of five, maybe if you like, 15 targets that they can just go and set up those meetings. It, It needs that human interaction between either a company or a company's advisor with the potential target. Only then you will be able to judge where this is the real target or it's the target that looks good and might invest in your payers but actually not interested in you. Why would you spend time on that? However, it's the target that says, sorry, you've kind of fallen off my radar because you're a smaller company but it looks like your story is interesting. Let's meet and discuss. This is certainly somebody who you should be pursuing and accommodating with the meetings when you go on the roadshow.
2: It's less algorithms and more personal knowledge and relationships.
1: They, they ha- do have to become those direct salespeople. Mm. Um, but they, as I said, the, the plate is only as big as you're provided with budget with. So if you need to take control over your consensus, for, for obvious reasons, there is no incentive um, for self-site to provide that consensus to third-party suppliers.
2: Can you talk more about taking control of consensus?
1: We would suggest before the results, a few days before the results, you run your own consensus. You speak directly with your sell side. Mm. You ask them to provide you with the models. Um, you decide internally what you're happy and comfortable guiding the market on, um, and then you collect that data and make it available to the market via your website through um, an extensive disclaimer. That basically the only, your involvement as a company in this process is collection of the data and making that consensus available rather than you manipulating numbers is absolutely not what we recommending ever to do. But you do need to take control as in you collating the consensus and making that consensus available on your website um, at the time that you agree, preferably before the results. So when Either fund managers looking at you or in, um, the buy-side analysts looking at you before after the result, or even the financial media writing about your performance. They have the right data to work with, not the third-party provider's data that so far has been the main source of that consensus data. We can no longer rely on that.
2: I'm getting the strong impression you think companies should cut their dependence on brokers.
1: The message is take control back. Know exactly, use your advisors to get gather intelligence on what's happening in the market, what's happening in the sector. Use your connections with the workers and others, potentially to, to some extent for execution. But don't be led by your advisors. Make informed, intelligent decisions using that information that they provide. Mm. And take control back from... Three main areas. One would be direct engagement with the market. Get the relationship sorted. Know who they are. We had one of the clients who listed nine years ago. They've never had targeting done.
0: Hmm.
1: They've been taken on the road by the same two brokers and they've seen the same people over and over again. Ah. So they are almost invisible to the bigger pool. That's not really the way to run IR. Program within um, under the MiFID 52 regulation in this case. So your direct engagement with the market to take control back over that, establishing relationships. Um, your coverage, your cheerleaders are slowly, in some cases, more much faster in other cases, disappearing. It means your self set coverage is dropping. So talk to those who are still writing about you. Understand why they're writing, will they be writing quarterly, monthly, only as a, in which form that is going to be happening, whether it's just in morning notes after your results, or would that be an ongoing quality coverage? Hmm. So by working together with them, you'll be able to provide more data to the market and engage with the new brokerage houses. There will be boutiques turning up and we'll see more and more pay for research and other elements if you do decide that the remaining coverage is not sufficient. You do need to, you do need cheerleaders in the market to push your story to to work.
2: you think paid for research has credibility?
1: Um, I think paid for research a few years back, I'd say five years ago, was questionable in terms of credibility. But I think um, buy have now seen a number of companies appearing and actually looking at it um, and doing their own in-house analysis Hmm. and seeing that the paid-for research um, has traction because otherwise the model wouldn't work if they don't provide the market with the good, sound advice and the good analysis of stock. The market won't believe them. They're not going to believe them. (laughs) If they can't sell it, the companies wouldn't be prepared to pay for them. (laughs) Paid-for research has come a long way over the last few years. And I think it will become, especially for the meat to small cap companies, I think that in some cases that would be really um, a lifesaver for many.
2: That would come out of the IR department budget, I presume. What's the best way for an IRO to ask for more MIFID money? I get the impression some of your clients uh, understand the need for more resources and others don't.
1: Um, what, we, what we're what we seeing is uh, different starting points for different companies. Okay. To give you an example, on one side we have a company who, although internally have just two uh, members of their team, head of IR and, and, the, and the manager, um, their weight and the positioning within the company has always been quite high. They have an investor relations committee that sits together with the board over every six weeks. So there is a much more well-established direct line of communication between the IR team and the board and they've been talking and preparing the board for the changes to come and also bringing some of the external brokers, the buy side and those kinds of conversations over for the last year. So they are prepared and that's what we're saying you do need to get ready and prepared and prepare the board.
2: Why is it so important now to get board backing post-MIFID too?
1: IR is this kind of in-between function which allows the board to understand and have a good grasp of how the market reacts to what they're trying to achieve, how they're trying to, whether the market understands the story, whether the market is prepared to pay for some of the expansions or other um, strategic decisions that the board is going to make. Treating AR as purely an execution function or uh, a compliance function almost eliminates that impartial advisory role. You need to have a gravitas to be sitting with the board of directors and being able to advise you on what the market thinks rather than implementing or um, putting in place what the market, what the board is asking you to do. Here's the result. Here's the, I don't know, five conferences that we go to. Um, those who haven't really done it much, they ended up even January time um, with half-empty um, conference schedules. And the CEO, CFO, that normally, and we, we have seen that, and those companies came to us, some of them pulled out, others came to us asking to fill in some of those slots, they experienced firsthand where the high reliance on the brokers can end up for the company, as the company can pay for very low visibility um, in in the market. The investors have limited period of time that they're prepared to spend on either searching for a new stock, um, and those who they find they'll go directly. Um, and many by side already said that they do not have time or money for the intermediaries. If they're interested in your stuff, they'll go. Huh. However, if they don't see you, if they don't get your results, if they don't understand your story, if you're not appearing um, in their universe, the likelihood of them paying attention to you is very low. So you need to know who your targets are and go to them. And update them. If they're not interested in the meeting straight away, but they're interested to be kept informed, put them on your database. Make sure that they receive all the press releases and the selective news flow—not just absolutely everything. But you do need to be careful and and selective. It's all about making a space for you for your stock in the very crowded market, and it's a fight for the capital that starts from there.
2: Okay, so. Any particular advice on how to stand out on people's radar?
1: Very simple example. Um, As part of the pre-qualified targeting, we tend to pick up the phone, not not just provide an Excel spreadsheet, but pick up the phone to every single target that we identified to have a conversation with them about interest in, in our particular clients. And the first thing that those brokers would be asking is, could you tell me a bit more about the company? or send me a one-pager. So the first thing that they are interested to see is to understand what is your equity story? What is it that you're selling? Why is it that you're better? In a very few words, we're talking a few paragraphs. They want to understand what your strategy and goals are. They want to see how you're going to fit into their portfolio. This is what they want to see. Not in pages and pages. When you're sitting with your CEO CFO, with this particular investor who already made the decision to make, meet with you, then yes, by all means, have a presentation. Maybe not very, very long. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the initial stages of uh, engaging and trying to get interest, people are not going to be going through a 50-page presentation before they make a decision to meet you or not. That's a so very
2: that's a very interesting and powerful and overlooked document.
1: <laughs> it's uh It's Yes, it's a neglected document, I would say. Probably everybody would have some kind of a fact sheet somewhere, but when it was last updated. It needs to have your strategy. It needs to have your investment case. It needs to have your latest financials. It needs to have an an outlook if you are guiding the market on certain metrics, and by all means included um, in there. And also depending on the type of company you are. If you're paying dividends, you do need to have a very clear dividend policy if you're going for the yield investors. If you are growth, then what is it that your growth strategy, Hmm. where are you heading, what is the return that you're expecting? It's very much a leading document that should be constantly made available either on the website or doing the um, calls rather than digging through and finding out relevant slides. Nobody has time to do that.
2: And that—that's what makes you stand out uh, on these people's radar. This sort of easy, comprehensive document they can understand.
1: Yeah. Mm. So, <laughs> another very simple advice, and it's also exactly coming out from similar pre-qualified packaging type of conversation. Is that? Oh yes, I've heard about this company. I—I I, I looked at their website, couldn't find contact details. As simple as that. That is—that is it. The investors know looking no longer looking proactively at you because they just have no idea where to go. IR at company.com is no longer good enough for them. They do need to know who to get in touch and how to get in touch with them in the shortest time possible. Your IR page is the first point of call for any potential investors. Yeah. And very often for even for the investors who you already met before, if your IR page is not Concise, clear, easy to navigate, and most importantly, have the contact details um, of who they can be getting in touch with to set up a meeting with you.
2: Like an actual name, out. an actual name in person. Yeah.
1: You know? Yeah, it I like have that to too. Name. Yeah. Yeah. Nice to look. We we had a look. It's more from from our interest in initially having a look. We had a look at um, 50, um, 250 companies, 50 to 50 companies. Just to see how many of fifty companies within that market cap would provide or do provide now contact details, 15. <clears throat> um, so for the, for the investors, they don't have time to do kind of detective work. They really would like, if you, if you want attention from investors, make yourself available, visible and clearly understood. And then there is much more chances of them looking at you, understanding, and willing to engage in a much more deeper, more informative conversation, either with you or with your CEO,
2: CFO. Good tips. How about other sorts of technology?
1: We do advocate technology, and we am all for technology, used selectively to fill in those missing gaps or to make your life as an I.R.O. more efficient. There are lots of corporate access platforms appearing now, some better than the others, um, but you have, you have either you're buying into certain communities or you're buying a pure and simple vanilla corporate access that just meeting allocation on a particular date within a particular city. Um, or you're going a bit further and you're looking into the whole CRM embedded services with the corporate access element attached to that. So the higher you go, the obviously the more expensive it becomes. I think my, my message would be: do not be afraid of the new technology, but be selective. Understand what you need. Since you're taking the control back, you know where the gaps are. You know what you need to fill in. So look for a platform or for the technology that would allow you to fill those gaps. If it works for your peer, it doesn't mean it's going to work for you, because your peer might have two and a half people sitting in the department, then you might have one. <laughs> or your peers might have not the same liquidity, um, and you do, so you do need to deal with much more, with many more requests from the, um, from the investors for meeting. So understanding what your requirements are, understanding how far you can get the control, but also how much money you have. Um, and having a frank conversation with the, with the board always helps. But you, you can't have a conversation with the board if you don't understand your on coverage, if you don't understand uh, what is the reduction in the chair leaders in the market that you're likely to get, you right. can't have those conversations if you don't have first-hand attempts, at least, at managing your engagement with the investors.
2: gets back to what you said about companies that relied most heavily on their brokers uh, are the ones that are most struggling now.
1: Those companies who worked with the brokers... Those companies who knew exactly who they wanted to meet, who knew exactly what kind of story they were selling, they had the relationship, direct relationship with investors established, didn't shy away from setting up their own meetings, their own even at some stages from a conference called video conferences. Um, Those are the ones who find it, I wouldn't say business as usual, but find it better equipped to have those kind of overall view of their positioning now in the market. Because they have the information, they have that intelligence, and they have the control over it for some time. Those who rely heavily on the brokers now end up in a situation where they have big gaps in the market intelligence. They can't make the decision without going to the broker for more information. And the brokers at this stage saying, well, we can't set up this particular meeting. Or if it's not the broker, then if you're looking at the side coverage, I'm, I'm sorry, you're not liquid enough for me. We, we're not covering your sector. We're not covering companies that are this market cup. So by giving the control out, you're now suffering the consequences. Those who have managed to have the control, and most of those ones are the ones that we're meeting, do you have direct relationship and strong relationship with the board. CEO, CFO are involved in our programs. They are most of the roadshows. They are at every conference. They're definitely running the um, roadshow results presentations. And they're active capital couple markets days or the analyst days of breakfast. So they are visible. And by doing that, they already see what the feedback is, what the reaction is. So they engage and it's easier to have the conversation about funding with them.
2: Do you see a big gap between funding and IR needs now?
1: I've seen on many occasions where, uh, and we're talking about those companies who haven't had control um, over their IR engagement, uh, IR programs. Those who relied on the brokers and the others, they are trying to find out themselves now in this period how much work actually flowing back at them. And this is where they are, they are in a position now where they're starting to understand, but they can't quite come to the board and say, "I need so much more money," because they haven't done the homework before. Yeah. They haven't spoken to the seller uh, to find out what is it that they're missing out on, how how much of the market they will be missing. Out on, but through the reduction in the coverage. They haven't spoken to the potential targets to see where the new capital is going to be coming from. They haven't spoken, they ever organized the self-site, or, sorry, the um, roadshow, Monday roadshow. They don't know how much it costs. That's... So those who haven't done the homework, who haven't put the numbers together and haven't realized do we need an additional resource? Do we need the corporate taxes person? Do we need, who do we need? Um, they can price it. So now they're finding out the hard way, reactively rather than proactively, based on the volume of work they're going their way, where they are, and how much they are under-resourced. Yeah. So I would expect the conversations for those companies with the boards will be happening a little bit later in the year because they can't just sustain the same level of workflow that's going up them. So I think the boards so far uh, what we've seen, they've both been largely poorly informed of the potential impact. Oh. Um, and the reason for that is that many of the IROs were relying and trusting the broker's message that not much is going to change. So they hadn't been passing on that information up. Those who paid attention and sat back and had a look at how MIFID is likely to Mm -hmm. impact them. I didn't trust 100% the broker's um, message that everything will be fine. They started to have those conversations with the board and making them aware Mm -hmm. of the new regulatory impact on this particular function because, as I said, it's secondary. Companies are not required to be MIFID compliant, so Corporate Secretary is not going to be coming and saying, right, this is our new regulation that we need to be looking for, looking to implement. Because it's secondary, the information flowing up wasn't very forthcoming. They're realizing what impact mifid is having on them.
2: Well, it gets back to IROs need more respect, and we've been saying that for 20 years. Right?
1: So it it all goes back to treating IR function as a strategic function, as an advisor, that requires to be adequately resourced, and for the IROs to be far more proactive, taking responsibility, control over their work, back in-house, and using all the third-party providers, whether it's a corporate broker or other advisors, um, more as that, advisors and executors. But you, I, as the head of IR, have the overall control and understanding where your ship goes, <laughs> being able to navigate
2: it. And that's all for this week's Ticker Podcast. Join us next week when I'll be talking Mifid with Michael Houghton, Managing Director at Corporate Access and IR software provider Engage.
1: It means a change. It means the way that business has been done in this area for decades is no longer quite a part
2: Before we go, let me remind you about IR Magazine's Think Tank West Coast. That's coming up March 28th in Palo Alto. And on the line now is IR Magazine's Steve Wade to tell us more. Hi Steve, what have you got planned for us this year?
0: Thanks Jeff. So we're looking at both future trends and those current challenges that are facing IROs right now. To give you an example, we start by looking ahead to horizon issues such as how are we going to prepare for the impact of MIFID when it does come to the US. We will also be focusing on improvements that IROs can make right now. So we'll look to answer questions like how can IR become more strategic and strengthen ties with the C-suite? Or going really specific into best practice, understanding which earning call formats have had the best outcomes where should I go on my next roadshow and how do I select the right broker? there are obviously just a few highlights and the full agenda is up online. Um, but yeah, we're really excited about what's planned.
2: Thanks, Steve. Sounds awesome. The free invitation-only event is open exclusively to senior IROs and you can request your invite at irmagazine.com. My thanks to Conduit Communications' Marina Calero and thanks to you for listening. In Montreal, I'm Jeff Cassette. You've been listening to the Ticker Podcast from IR Magazine. For free access to all the latest global investor relations news and analysis,
1: register at irmagazine.com or download the app.